0: Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true, is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And it's interesting that even though someone did rise from the dead, Jesus Christ, and preached on hell continuously, they still do not believe in hell. Still There are false prophets out there who twist Scripture to make it read that there is no hell. Because up until this time, you know, uh, many people back in those days at that time did not believe in hell. And we are seeing the same thing happening today. People do not believe in hell. They don't believe that if God's a God of love, how can there be a place called hell? It's because... God is a God, of a righteous God. He is a good God. He's a holy God who does not tolerate sin. And when our holy God provides a way of redemption for those that have sinned and has given them the one doorway into heaven, the only access point that you can get to receive salvation through, and you reject that only salvation, you deserve hell as a result. Because we have this one way into heaven. that's through Jesus Christ. Let not anyone deceive you. There is no other way into the kingdom of God. There is no other way to be saved from hell. Muhammad can't save you. He died and did not raise to life. Islam cannot save you because Islam has no savior. Hinduism does not save you because it's a false delusional uh, faith. And neither does anything else that will be taught on the earth, save you, except Jesus Christ who died for your sins. Amen? Mm -hmm. And we've got to see this because Jesus went into great detail and gave us some real uh, deep insights here into what hell is like. But before I can really go further, I want to just, um, I want to talk about like the the wording, because there's a lot of discrepancies about the words used and do, do they actually mean hell and in the context that they're maybe not referring to hell, but to maybe refining fire and all this sort of thing. So I'm just going to go through that, but I've I've got a bit of an introduction I want to look at as well. I feel very strongly led to deliver this sermon upon the very disturbing doctrine of hell. The reason is is that if this doctrine is correct, if this doctrine of hell is correct, if there is a place that God has created to eternally cut off and destroy souls who reject and hate him, then I think we should know something about it. Don't you? Yeah. If there is this place that was is so horrific, that's so terrible, that God, that Jesus came and died so that we wouldn't have to go there. If it was so bad that it put our Lord and God on a cross, impaled him on a cross with nails and it caused him to be tortured and beaten and battered and bruised so that we wouldn't go there, which is really the ultimate reason of why Jesus died on the cross, to save our souls from hell, then we should know something about hell. And we should also not just go and deny it. Because if hell doesn't exist, then Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. Amen? If hell doesn't exist, Jesus would not have to die on a cross to save us. Because what would he be saving us from? When Jesus clearly says there's torment. You, you read that story about Lazarus. There's torment. The rich man receives torment. So many faiths teach there is no hell. So many Christians teach there is no hell. Before I continue, I want to stress that a lot of Christians do not believe in hell. I read an article yesterday written by a person who cleverly retranslated away all references to hell from the Bible. And even the obvious reference of a lake of burning sulfur which he claims will not cause pain. Because of these, souls will be in an imperishable body and not physical. And so because they're in an imperishable body, which it doesn't say they will be in imperishable body, mm. but he claims that they will be, therefore if they're in hell they won't receive any pain. So what's the fire for? What's the, what is the torment Jesus is talking about if there's no pain? See. But Jesus doesn't say that because he says in the fire. And fire is, you know, when you're in a fire, you're in a fire, you know. Mm. And this is what some say. This one guy I was reading on the internet, he goes, let us be absolutely clear that Jesus Christ did not speak about hell. So he makes that rash statement. Let us be absolutely clear that Jesus Christ did not speak about hell. However, our scriptures don't declare that. Jesus Christ spoke about Gehenna, which is an age to come age-lasting, refining yet merciful judgment of all resurrected unbelievers and all fallen angels. So Gehenna now is a age to come where you've been re- refined. This final judgment will take place in the lake of fire on the day of judgment. Our great God of the Bible is neither a great torturer of people in hell nor a great annihilator of them either, but he is the great saviour of the whole world. God amazingly revealed the true gospel to us, and this is him, him and his wife had the true gospel revealed to him. So this is not the gospel of the Bible. This is another gospel uh, of how God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, is the saviour of the world, and he will indeed save the whole world without a single exception. So he's saying that everyone who has ever lived will be saved. Does our Bible declare that? No way. No way, farthest from it. Many are called, but few are chosen. Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many are upon it. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and few find it. So how can he write that and claim to be Christian at the same time? This is the deception, and it's to the undiscerning, to those that don't read their Bible, it's very appealing. Oh, no, hell, fantastic. So no accountability required. You know, it fits in with with a lot of other doctrines that are getting taught. What right does God have? God, I was praying the other morning and this, this popped into my mind. Men love to be free to do what they want and not to be held accountable for any of it, don't they? Men love to be free to do what they want. They don't like people telling them what to do. You know, in this day and age, you know, people hate it when you tell them what to do. They want to be free to do what they want. And they don't want to be told that you're going to be held accountable for it either. They then turn in judgment of God, into the judgment against God, and they cry this. They say, who is he to think he can do what he wants? So they want to be free to do what they want, but they don't, they think, who is God to do what he wants? And therefore, they don't believe he exists. And if he does exist, he's, he's a horrible God. Why? Because he has a place called hell, which will be the just reward for a life of sin. But they don't want to be held accountable, so therefore, they hate him for that. <laughs> Because he has that place. And they don't want to humble themselves and say, sorry God, uh, uh, please, I submit myself to Jesus Christ. I'll turn from my sins and follow you. The only way, they don't want to do that either because then they can't enjoy their life of sin. So they're in this terrible cycle. So who did they say this? Who does he think? Who does God think he is to do what he wants? He has no right to create a place of eternal destruction for the ungodly. He has no right to throw someone there just because they chose to reject him and hate him. So they claim to have all rights, and they don't want to be told they don't have those rights to do what they want, but they claim the God who created them should have no rights to do any of the things that he chooses to do either. But my answer is God is the potter. And we are the clay, literally. And this is Paul spoke about that. And he has the right to do with his creation, with his clay, whatever he wants to do. Amen? If God wanted to, he could click his fingers, the universe would fall apart, the old matter would just disseminate into nothing, and he would be within his rights to do it. Amen? He'd be within his rights to do that. And if you think about it, who would we be to argue with that decision? Can you get what I'm saying? You know, if he clicked his fingers and the universe just dissipated and we all just died instantaneously, every last one of us, the whole universe, gone, What would God even be concerned that we would say, hey, you have no right to do that? <laughs> it's, it's done. God is the overarching Lord of all. There's nothing that, you know, he's going to have the last say. doesn't matter what you say. You either get on his side or get destroyed. Simple as that. Join God or lose your life eternally. Walk the way he calls us to walk or lose your life eternally. You know? Now, I think this is important. He has the right. We must keep in mind, however, that he is just. We've got to keep this in mind. He's a just God. Now, he won't click his fingers and destroy all of the universe. Why? Because Jesus died for souls of men, and those that come to him will be saved. So those souls are saved. We must keep in mind that he is just, he's right, and he's exacting in all his judgments. He's exact. He doesn't make a mistake like we do. He doesn't get misinterpreted information. You know, when we stand in the court, he doesn't need witnesses. He is the witness. He saw it. You can't say, oh, no, that witness told a lie. That didn't happen like that. He'll say, well, here's the video. (laughs) It's exactly, that's you walking up, doing it right there. I don't need any other, he doesn't need any other witnesses. God is exact. In all his judgments, no one will ever be able to say after judgment that they did not deserve what they receive. You know, there won't be a soul in hell that could say God was unjust in their being there. There will not be a soul there. The soul could not say that in hell. They'll know they are getting their just desserts. And the main thing they have to remember is it's because they rejected the Son of God that they are there. And they will never get out of there. They'll be there forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that's a decision we've also got to accept today. Or we've got to make today. Does hell exist? Firstly, are you willing to take a gamble? Are you willing to gamble your eternal life? Are you willing to face death without Jesus and take a gamble that you might, you know, just become nothing or or life just ends at death or you become one with the ether and, and go into a state of nirvana? Are you going to take that gamble? Or are you going to take it the words of Jesus Christ to heart and say, okay, there is no other saviour in history. There is no one else who's claimed to be the saviour of the world. Buddha didn't say it. Muhammad didn't say it. You know, Ravi Shankar didn't say it. None of these guys, no one has ever been the saviour. But Jesus Christ claimed to be the saviour and he proved it by raising from the dead. right? So, are we willing to to die, go into that place without Jesus Christ? That's a question everyone's got to make. And you either got to reject it or accept it. And don't argue with me about it. Don't get angry that I'm saying this. You make the decision. I'm just laying it on the table. You make the decision. If you don't like it, lump it. You know, you will lump it too, for a long, long time. But you can either uh, say, okay. Maybe there is some merit to what this guy is saying. Maybe there is some merit to Jesus Christ. Maybe there is some truth. Maybe I better not be so hard-hearted here. Maybe I better not be so arrogant and pig-headed and think that I know everything when there's no chance you can know everything. Maybe I better look into it. Maybe I better, better give a bit of an ear Soften my heart. Give a bit of an ear to the word of God. Maybe I better listen to Joe Schimmel, men of God that speak the truth. You know, maybe I better tune into some more of the Rob Cartledge videos and see that is he in fact speaking the truth. Maybe I better cross check him just to make sure. He might have a point. Amen. Amen. Because if it's valid, man, this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing in your life. You have to make a decision. Follow Christ or reject Christ. But we're all going to make that decision and our eternal lives are going to be based on that one decision. It's not going to be based on how good you are or how bad you are. It's going to be based on whether you've received Jesus or rejected Jesus. Because all those other things can be fixed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. So in the Old Testament, the word for grave is sheol, sheol, and has been translated in different versions to grave, pit, hades, uh, which is the word in Greek, uh, death, and even hell in the King James Version. The sheol has been used as the word hell. Sheol means underworld, underworld. A place to which people descend at death, and it is the world of the dead. So it's a, it's the underworld. It's the place where you descend at death. It's just the overall uh, um title for the whole place, Sheol, okay? So Sheol means underworld, a place to which people descend at death. It is the world of the dead. However, it does not necessarily refer to a place of punishment. Uh, which causes one to consider the concept of Abraham's bosom. So, what 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 I'm saying there is that it's not necessarily speaking of hell directly, but hell is a part of that place. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But the, in the Old Testament, there was also the place that they that the Jews would call the Abraham's bosom, which is where Abraham and those that would go uh, die in the true faith of the Israelites would go there, and uh, they were considered to be in paradise. Okay, it's not heaven. It's paradise. And uh, we don't know where that is. It's a spiritual dimension. We, we can't sort of put our finger on where that is. But um, so Sheol is that over the, the name for the whole area, as far as I can tell from Scripture, okay? So generally the word which most Bible versions translate to hell in the Old Testament is Abaddon, which is a place of destruction or ruin. So they usually use the term Abaddon. But sometimes they might refer to Sheol but in saying a place of burning, but they're referencing Uh, without saying Abaddon, so they're referencing hell, or the place of destruction, or Abaddon, but they're saying it as in, in that place of Sheol. Do you know what I'm saying? And they do the same thing in the Greek with Hades. Hades is the equivalent of Sheol, and there's the place of Hades, but that also consists of hell, but it also consists of a place, uh, the grave, where our bodies go. When we die, because our bodies get buried in the earth, don't they? And some of there's many people that have died in the sea, so their bodies are buried in the sea. Right. So wherever those bodies are, that's called the grave. Uh, there's Greek word I can't remember it right now, but I'll get to it. Um, uh, so we have that same sort of concept, but to a lesser degree. We don't have a paradise in the New Testament. We have a heaven. Our, to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, but our bodies stay in the grave until the resurrection of the dead. Does that make sense? So Korah's rebellion, this is where we see the word Sheol being used. Numbers 16, 31 to 33, I don't know if many of you know the story about Korah's rebellion, I think most of you do. Uh, He rebelled against Moses and a lot of the leaders of Israel rebelled as well and then God made a judgment against these people because they were pretty ardent in, in their rebellion. Moses told all the people to get away from those camps of those people anyone related with Koran who was in that rebellion, they all got away from the camp. And then all of a sudden the earth opened up like that and all of their tents and all their belongings, all their possessions all fell into Sheol. And then the ground closed up over the top of them. And this is the scripture. Numbers 16, 31 to 33. As he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. So that's where... One of the very few accounts where you see of, of you know, the death realm opening up in front of people's eyes in a physical dimension. That's amazing, isn't it? You know, Job 17, 16 says, Will it go down with me to Sheol? So he's referencing that he will die. But he's not saying he's going to hell to burn forever. He's just saying he's going into Sheol, the place where the dead go. Shall we together go down into the dust? What I'm bringing up here is... is is the Bible gives us many uh, clear references to what happens in death, right? We can understand the death realm through, the, through Scripture and what took place. This is the way the Old Testament operated, and the New Testament is slightly different. But we can get an insight into death. People say we don't know what's on the other side. Oh, yes, we do. The Bible tells us. Jacob, upon viewing the robe of Joseph... He said this, Genesis 37 to 34 to 35 says, So Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. They wouldn't have been very good comforters because they were the murderers in a sense. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. So again, a reference to Sheol, not as a place of torment, but as the place where the dead go. An Old Testament reference to the resurrection in one Samuel two six: The Lord kills and the Lord makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. That's amazing, isn't it? A reference to uh, what would happen to the coming of Messiah. He would go down into Sheol and then he would be raised up. Two Samuel twenty two five to six: For the waves of death encompassed me. The waves of death, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. And then we have references to Abaddon, which is the Old Testament uh, name for hell. Job 31.12, for it would be fire that consumes to Abaddon. It would be fire. So here's a reference that. What's in hell? Fire. It consumes to Abaddon and would uproot all my increase. Fire consumes those who are in Abaddon, the place of destruction. Proverbs 15, 11, Sheol and Abaddon. So the place where the dead go and Abaddon, which is the hell element of it, Sheol and that place called Abaddon, which is in death, lie open before the Lord, meaning God can see it. He knows exactly what's going on down there. How much more the hearts of men. And that should be a judgment reference. God knows what your heart thinks. God knows what's going on inside of us. He sees it clearly. Job 26.6, Sheol is naked before God and Abaddon has no covering in the eyes of God. God can see. Psalm 88.10-12, Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave and that, that term there is Kibar, which is a grave, a tomb or a sepulture. So sepulture was like the rock that Jesus was placed in. It was a, a rock, a grave, where they cut out a tomb. So Kiba is, is like the, what we see on the surface of the Earth, the graves. Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? That means there's no faithfulness. God does not have anything to say about those that are in Abaddon. He has departed from them. He does not give them any faith or hope or anything. There's nothing left when you're in Abaddon. And that's that's pretty disturbing. Will your wonders be made known in the darkness? No, they won't. And your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. So what they're saying about Abaddon is it's a place of forgetfulness. You're forgotten. You're never remembered. Once you're there, that's it. That's it. You will never be remembered again. You'll be nameless. You'll be lost, undone. It's a terrible state of affairs for people who die without Jesus, I tell you. And so many more people will experience hell than those that will experience heaven. It's not going to be funny. And they're going to be lost forever and ever and ever, separated from a holy God. It's going to be a terrible, terrible thing for so many people. It is a terrible thing right now for so many people. Job 15.34 says, For the company of the godless will be barren, and fire will consume the tents of those who love bribes. So just the specific breaking of the law, a bribe. Job 18.15, fire resides in his tent. Burning sulfur is scattered over his dwelling. This is talking about the wicked. Fire resides in the tent of the wicked, in the lives and the homes of the wicked. Burning sulfur is scattered over his dwelling. And you know why he uses the term tent and not house? Is because tents are not permanent. They move. You pick them up, you move somewhere else, you put them down. We're not permanent here on earth. Everyone knows that because everyone's going to die. We're passing through it's a temporary stay and if people get that right if they can make they can have a permanent residence in heaven if they would just humble themselves and stop being so hard hearted towards towards their god who created them The fate awaiting the wicked, Job 20, 26-29. Total darkness lies in wait for his treasures. A fire unfanned will consume him and devour what is left in his tent. The heavens will expose his guilt. The earth will rise up against him. A flood will carry off his house, rushing waters on the day of God's wrath. Such is the fate that God allots the wicked, the heritage appointed for them by God. That's terrible. Who wants that fate? No? didn't see any hands. And then there's the fire judgments declared in the Old Testament. Psalm 116. Upon the wicked he will rain snares, fire and brimstone. A snare is like a trap, mm-hmm. right? Like when you, when someone gets thrown in the hell, that's it. They're trapped. They can't get out because when God makes a decision, bang, they're grabbed, they're thrown down there. They're in a prison forever. They're in a snare. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. How would you like that as a cup? Fire and brimstone and burning wind. Who's been in the wind when it's not even burning? Well, it's a hot wind. Have you had hot wind and sand blowing I'm in it? And it feels like you're getting burned. Right. But you can imagine the heat of this burning wind. Imagine that continuously, never ceasing. It's just unbelievable. The name Edom, I just want to quickly go into this, means red. Uh, in Hebrew, and it was given to Esau, who was the brother of Jacob. Jacob became Israel, as we know, the father of God's people, and Edom, however, represents those who are not God's people. So we had Israel and Edom who were like the two, you could just say, you know, two from a symbolic point of view, the two types of humanity, the sheep and the goats, as it were, right? And you get this from Romans 9.13 where God says, Jacob I loved... But Esau I hated, right? So those that are wicked and and, and, and hate him and end up in hell, they end up in hell because God ends up hating them. It's like, well, you hated me and you didn't want to turn from your sin. I can't look upon sin. I hate sin. You now become sin. And this is sin, hell. But hell is really a place. It's not... I've heard some people say, oh, hell is just sin. No, it's not. Sin puts you there. Mm -hmm. But that's what the... ...just Retribution for a life of sin is Isaiah 34 8 to 10, and this is why I reference that in relation to Edom because this, this section of scripture, write down if you can Isaiah 34, you've got to read it. Isaiah 34 8 to 10, for the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion, for the cause of his holy people. It's, and when he says it's, it's referring to Edom, who was just talking about in the earlier part of that section. Edom's streams will be turned into pitch. So the streams in Edom, wherever Edom is, it's, it's ancient Edom, Edom was where, John? One day, Jordan, South Israel. This place will be turned into pitch and its loose earth into brimstone, and its land will become burning pitch. It's land. So the actual land. So we've we'll got to take this from a literal perspective. This place, Edom, where <laughs> is going to have burning pitch. And it's going to have brimstone all over it. So the whole place. It will not be quenched night and day. And its smoke will go up forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. From generation to generation it will be desolate. None will pass through it forever and ever. This place is going to be on earth. It's going to be a place... Uh, called Edom where it's going to be covered in pitch, this place is going to be burning with sulphur and pitch and tar or whatever it is it's going to be a dreadful place and it's going to go up forever and ever and ever and I bring that up because when I looked at that I also saw, I remembered a scripture at the end of Isaiah 66, verses 22 to 24, and it says, For just as the new heavens and the new earth which I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure, and it shall be from new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath or Saturday to Saturday. All mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord, and then they will go forth. And where are they going forth? They're going to this place, I believe, is Edom. Then they will go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. So this place, and I've always I called it a viewing platform, a place we can go and look, and for eternity we'll have this place where we can go and look upon the souls that have died and are burning forever. And I I always say, I believe that is the reason for that is is God needs to have a place that is a reminder of sin so that those of us in eternity will stay holy to the Lord. And if we even show a slight sign of not sticking to that, God will say, go over to Edom. Take a look at Edom. Stand and look over Edom. And it must be a big place because there's a lot of souls in there. And we'll look at Edom and we'll go, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. you know what I mean? And then you can go back into eternity and know how blessed you are. Because you know how it is when you get something new and you just want this thing, want it, want it, want it. The moment you get it, you get so used to it so quickly. Who's had that experience? Mm. And it's like, oh, yeah, I've got it now. I'm used to it. You know, we can get so used to good things. You know, am You know, people will say, you know, they want this beautiful house, the house of their dreams. They can't wait to live in this house of their dreams. The moment they get in, they move in. Within a week, they're used to it. Walking around, yes, just home. You know, I wonder if we can get like that in heaven. We're in eternity. It's the most beautiful, wonderful place you could ever be. And then suddenly we get a bit used to it. What does God say? It's time for you to visit Edom. Go and take a look upon Edom from the viewing platform and then when we look down and we see those that we once knew people we once knew could be family, friends they're all down there in eternal torment man would that bring appreciation back to the life you live in in heaven after that would you not come home saying wow God you're so wonderful thank you for giving us this beautiful eternal life in the New Testament, the Greek words Hades, Gehenna and Tartarus have been translated to hell in a number of translations, right? So those words, uh, a number of translations will just translate them all to hell. But Hades has 11 occurrences in the New Testament and it means the abode of the dead itself, much like Sheol in Hebrew. So to translate it directly to hell can sometimes be misleading. Um, but generally those that abide in death now will be abiding there, I believe, from a New Testament point of view because if you're a Christian, you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. So those that would abide in uh, in Hades now would be those in hell because there is no dead in Christ, if you know what I mean. The spirits live. But there is an exception where our bodies get placed in the grave, which is also called Hades, our physical bodies, but the souls aren't in them. They're just there waiting uh, to be um, resurrected. That's the word. Okay. Gehenna has 12 occurrences in the New Testament. Gehenna is a transliteration from the Aramaic form of the Hebrew Gehinnom, and it's the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. It's the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. In the Old Testament, the site was initially where apostate kings like Ahaz and Manasseh, who followed the Baals and Canaanite gods, sacrificed their children by fire. That was where Gehinnom was, was a place where the children were thrown into the fire. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? No? People actually threw their kids into the fire. Thereafter it was deemed to be cursed. That place was deemed a very, very cursed place. And So in all New Testament references, it designates the place of eternal punishment of the wicked, generally in connection with the final judgment. So Hades, Matthew 16:18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the, so that means the gates of death, will not overcome the church. Hades, Acts 2:27, because you will not leave my soul in Hades, neither will you allow your holy one to see decay. See, so Jesus, uh, he was not left in Hades; he did not, his body on earth did not see decay in the tomb in which he was laid. Following scripture references Hades as a place of torment. But I believe it is in respect to the part of Hades Lazarus went to when he died because Abraham was also in the paradise part of Hades with Lazarus. Because remember, when Jesus was speaking about hell, um, at that time before he died, the Old Testament way of, 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 of death functioning was functioning at that time, wasn't it? So Abraham's bosom was still there. When Jesus went into uh, Hades, into Sheol, he set the captives free. And the captives would have been those in paradise, which wouldn't have been such a bad place to be, but it still he brought them into heaven, which was an even better place. So Luke 16.23, in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. This is talking about the rich man. And he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his bosom. So that's where they get the term uh, Abraham's bosom. Now there's also a word Thanatos. There is a Greek word, thanatos, which means death, as in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty five, Where, O oh, death, is your victory, and where, O oh, death, is your sting. So that's an interesting word, isn't it? Thanatos. 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 It's a physical or spiritual death, separation from life, salvation of God, forever by dying, without first experiencing death to self. So it actually, if you don't experience death to self, remember the sermon last week we did? Death to self? You've got to die to self, don't you? If you don't die to self here, you will die eternally. So we've got to die now to have life. And Thanatos is the place where you go forever if you do not receive the gift of salvation that Jesus offers. So whereas Hades is the unseen place referring to the invisible realm in which all dead reside, i.e. the present dwelling place, and at that time, remember, Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. He hadn't set the captives free. It was like Sheol at that moment as well. Hades was referring to that Sheol of the Old Testament. So I'll start that again. Whereas Hades is the unseen place, referring to the invisible realm in which all the dead reside, i.e. the present dwelling place of all the departed deceased. The physical bodies of all the dead reside in Hades. The believers' bodies, however, are waiting for the resurrection. And that's what I was saying earlier. So Revelation 20, 14, then death and this is where Thanatos is used, and Hades. So they're saying two different things. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. This is in Revelation 2014. This is um, uh, after the thousand years of peace. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of burning sulfur and were destroyed, meaning there is no more death or Thanatos death and there's no more Hades whatsoever. Great thing. But there's a place called now... Because the lake of burning sulfur is not... There's no one in it right now. Mm. The lake of burning sulfur is just that final garbage disposal. Judgment. And everything is just Mm. thrown in there and destroyed. And when I say destroyed, not annihilated, but destroyed for eternity. Nowhere does it uh, it speak of annihilation in Scripture Mm. in reference to those in hell. They're destroyed... Undone, but conscious. The worm never dies in hell. And the worm meaning referencing the soul. The soul never dies in hell. But it does. It's dead eternally, but conscious of its death. Gehenna is a place of eternal punishment of the wicked, generally in connection with the final judgment. So Matthew 5, to 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble. Who's heard this scripture? Put up your hand if you've heard it before. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell or Gehenna. It's a direct reference to hell, Gehenna is, whenever it's spoken. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Gehenna. Mark 9, 46 if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. Gehenna, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's a terrible place, Gehenna. The worm does not die and the fire does not quench. Now, there's also a word pyros, which references fire, strife, trials, the eternal fire is the Greek word pyros. Matthew 18.9, and it says, And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire, pyros, of hell, Gehenna. They go together. Pyros, Gehenna. Matthew 10.28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell, Gehenna. So a few references to hell there. And I haven't got them all either. Tartarus is the last one we're looking at in relation to hell. Tartarus is one occurrence in all of scripture. It is considered the deepest part of hell. Tartarus is the netherworld, the place of punishment fit only for demons. Later, Tartarus, though, came to represent eternal punishment for wicked people. It is a Greek name for the underworld, especially the abode of the damned, hence hence to cast into hell to send into the subterranean abyss reserved for demons and the dead. In Greek mythology, Tartarus was a place of punishment under the earth to which, for example, the titans were sent. It's amazing that the Greeks knew about Tartarus or whether the word Tartarus came up and then uh, Peter referenced the word Tartarus because of the influence of the Greeks in the culture that they lived in as a reference to the eternal abyss, that deepest part of hell. But Peter used it in 2 Peter 2.4. He said, For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned but threw them down into Tartarus and delivered them to be kept in chains of darkness until judgment. And that's a direct use of the word Tartarus in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Most translations use the term hell there. But it is a distinctly different word. But he's talking about the angels that were cast down into Tartarus. Deuteronomy 32.22 For a fire is kindled... And this is in relation to God's wrath. In, a fire is kindled in my anger and burns to the lowest part of Sheol, the lowest part of the place of the dead, and consumes the earth with its yield and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. And God is saying that. A fire is kindled in my anger. So that anger causes hell to become a place. Do you reckon there's a person on earth who's never got angry? Do you reckon? Do you reckon there's a person on earth who's never, has lived his whole life, or he or she, and never been angry? Without having a certain physical condition or something that causes them not to have any emotion at all. But most people, I'd say, pretty well all people, would have got angry. Definitely. Well, guess what? Our God gets angry, and we're created in his image. So that anger is, is there because it's, it's part of his... Character, but he has a righteous anger. We can have an unrighteous anger most of the time. But he has a righteous anger, and his anger kindles fire. <laughs> For a fire fire is kindled in my anger. Do you want to be under the anger and under the wrath of God? No. Stay in Jesus. Stay in Jesus. If you're not in Jesus, get into Jesus. Believe in Jesus and do your research. Don't leave this sort of thing to chance. Amen. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. So whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. But whoever rejects Jesus or the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him see when you get under Jesus the wrath of God is taken away he, the wrath of God will not come upon you anymore you're under his blood, you're under his covering he's blessing you, protecting you, you're in him right? but if you're not under Jesus you're under the wrath of God the direct wrath of God and that is fire and that is hell Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. So we're starting to see it. And of course, there's going to be a, a, a wrath expressed through the tribulation. It's not the eternal wrath of God of hell, but it will be tribulational wrath called bowls of God's wrath. Right? Now, at that time, whether there's a rapture or not, that's not the point, and whether... God just protects his people during that time from his wrath, which he's capable of doing. He did it for Moses and uh, sorry, um yeah, he did it with Moses and the Israelites at that time during the um tribulation that occurred in Egypt when he brought his people out. He kept them protected from the wrath that came upon Egypt, didn't he? So he's quite capable of doing it again. And I believe that's a typology of what he's gonna do. Romans two five. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself. See, and this is what I was saying before, because of stubbornness and unrepentance, these people are storing up wrath against themselves for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment. So the day of God's wrath is not the, nothing to do with the tribulation. The day of God's wrath is the judgment, the judgments when they're pronounced. Matthew thirteen forty to 43. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, and that's pyros, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. At that time he's going to weed all those out. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, that's kaminos, And which just simply means furnace and and, uh, some references that eternal furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5-10. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are indeed suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, and that's the word elithros, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. And elithros is... Properly is ruination with its full destructive results. However, it does not apply extinction or annihilation. Rather, it emphasizes the consequent loss that goes with the complete undoing of a soul. Revelation 14:9 to11, the third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, "If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury." God's fury, God's wrath is fire, isn't it? Which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image and for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Wow, don't receive the mark. It would be better to die a death with of of you know uh, of hunger than to receive the mark and end up in that situation amen and i only say that more and more these days because the mark is getting closer and closer i don't know how long it is until they bring in that mark that is referencing here whatever the case set your hearts now you will not receive the mark no matter what just say shoot me <laughs> shoot me now i don't'm not going to receive that mark because I know what's going to be the result of it. I am not going to die eternally in hell because of that stinking rotten thing. And it says in the Bible that many will receive it. So that's how we know. When In those days, it's going to be easy to judge those that are going to hell and those aren't. <laughs> Show me your wrist. Oh, no, I don't have to witness to you. <laughs> Walk away. You're condemned. Well, that's where the remember it says if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Right? That's where that scripture might come into real reality in those days. Well, what if you get it on your head, you have to cut your head off. Gouge it out. <laughs> Who knows? But, yeah, maybe that scripture has a, a future application, a prophetic application, you know, cut off the hand. It's not just a symbolic thing. It's an actual literal thing. Revelation 19, 19 21. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. These are judgments. This is prior... Uh, To the thousand years of peace. So the false prophet and the beast were thrown into the lake of burning sulphur. the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider of the horse. And who's that rider? Jesus. Jesus. The rider on the horse. And all the birds gorge themselves on their flesh. And then there's the judgment of Satan. Revelation 20, verses 7 to 10. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, which is in the abyss. He was chained in the abyss prior to the thousand years, and he will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like sand on the seashore. So Has a lot of people after a thousand years of peace with Jesus Christ living on the earth. This always amazes me. How can you have Jesus Christ on earth for a thousand years, and still Satan so quickly can deceive so many people that it's there, there's that many. It's like sand on the seashore, and They marched across the breadth of the earth. So they go, we're going to get Jesus. They raise flags and here we come, dog and magog. We're going to get Jesus. And they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. So no more devil. That's fantastic. Where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So now the three deceivers are out of the way. So we now move to the great white throne judgment. Revelation twenty eleven to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. So you get that. Earth, all the land of the earth fled. It's not there. Heavens fled. It's not there. So they're in just hanging there. In space, space is all around them, fled from his presence and there was no place for them because that earth and heaven had no place there at this in this situation. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. So when it says the sea gave it up, it's because people die at sea. People die at sea. That's where their bodies are buried. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death, and the word there used is thanatos, and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Who here... Has the assurance that your name is written in the book of life. Put your hand up. How sure are you? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and died for your sins? Put your hand up. Then our uh, obligation is to the Spirit. So we should live for the Spirit. If you're living for anything else except God, I'm not saying you don't do the things you do. You have to do those things, but all those things should be done in God, always. Make sure your day is begins in God and ends in God and you're conscious of God through the day or if you keep or keep returning your consciousness to God do you know what I'm saying? Because it's those that live in the spirit that are eternally saved so that means you give your heart to Jesus and then you live in that decision. you know give your heart to Jesus and then go back to doing your old thing and just live the life for you again. That's not giving your heart to Jesus because then you're really just you're an Indian giver. You've taken your heart back. Amen. Mm. We've got to live for God. Everything is God first, God first. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4, and it says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. This gospel is veiled, meaning they can't see it. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. That displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So who's blinded them? Mm. Satan, the God of this age. Yeah, Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers. Mm. Satan can also try to blind us. Many Christians get blinded. Especially if you think you're immune to. Especially, it says, be careful when you think you stand lest you fall. Yeah, if you think you're above it, be careful because you're, you're setting yourself up for a fall. So always be humble in relation to that and keep your mind attuned to the truth by reading the Bible. You know, don't just take my word for it. Go home and read it for yourself. But, you know, you can see I bring up Scripture, don't I? How many Scriptures did we read today? Awesome. Right? I'm not just standing up here talking about hell off my, off my own back, you know what I mean, and just making it all up. I'm bringing up the Scripture. I'm just telling you what the Scriptures say. I, I'm looking up the Hebrew. I'm looking up the Greek. I'm finding what it really does say even back to that level. So now we know it's clear in Scripture. And uh, I challenge anyone to try to fold it, You know, see if you can find a Scripture that contradicts what I'm saying. And I'm not using all the Scriptures. I had to really sift through a few just to pull up the ones I've got. So 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. We are a pleasing aroma to those that are being saved and those who are perishing to the one we are an aroma that brings death. When we speak to those that don't believe, whose minds have been blinded, we are an aroma of death. that sounds condemnationary and they don't like hearing it and they just reject it. Right, But to the other, we are an aroma that brings life. We lift them up. They go, yes, Jesus is the way. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. The most famous scripture in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's testimony to Jesus being the begotten son of God, the Father. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. Now we know the extent of that perish, don't we? We just looked up all the scriptures and related to where that perishing is and what happens there and how bad it is. But God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And John 3.17, the very next scripture, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. Jesus did not condemn anyone. Jesus came here to set us free. Jesus came here to save us. He knows about hell. He created hell. Right, But he came, he said, I created it, but I don't want anyone to go there. I created it for, for those fallen angels. I didn't create it for you. But I tell you what, if you don't turn from your sin, you're going to go there with them as well. So I cre- he created hell for the angels, but the humans will go there if they follow those fallen angels. Do you know what I mean? If your Lord is Satan or if your Lord is any, anyone other than Jesus Christ, then you are following those fallen angels and being deceived by them and you're going to go where they're going. But Jesus came. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world to save the world. Through him and through his death, he laid himself on the cross willingly. He gave himself to it. He knew he could call legions of angels to have got himself down from the cross. Actually, he could have just not been in the Mount of Olives at the night that they came and found him. He he knew they were coming. Come on. There was no... Jesus laid himself down willingly. Would have, if, if they didn't find him, Jesus would have just walked into the courtyard and said, I'm here, you've been looking for me. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the extent of what Jesus did. So we don't have to die. We don't have to perish. Amen. Lord, I thank you for the sermon. Uh, thank you. That was um, a much-needed sermon and um, a very heavy, big sermon. But, Lord, I pray that somehow we can consolidate what we received today and do a deep work in us and change us to the core. May this knowledge, as much as it caused you to lay on a cross, may this knowledge cause us to take up our cross, that we would die to self so that we would not die eternally, that we would not be under the thanatos death and die eternally because we refuse to die to self. But, Lord, I pray for all those that would watch this and, and that, that would reject, try to reject it or try to find fault with it. I pray that their hearts be changed. Pray their hearts will be touched and that you'll reveal to them the truth in relation to this scripture because to you, Jesus, it was everything. Lord, as I said earlier, if you, if, if there is no such thing as hell, then why did you even bother dying on the cross to save us? Because what are we saved from if, you, if there is no hell? So, Lord, I just pray that you uh, uh, help us with this and help us to grow and get stronger and become the Christians we're meant to become. All through in your name. And I just pray your spirit just be with us this week. Bless us. Pour out your spirit upon us. Keep us true to the faith. Keep us walking on that right path. And uh, cover us in your precious blood all week long. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series. Uncovering Religion, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, Apologetics 101, Critical Doctrine and End Times. Feel free to check them out.